How many of you had a really easy time coming up with an excuse for your homework? Some of, I'm kind of shocked. Either you're lying or we've got really good students in our midst. I mean, this was a regular occurrence, at least I think in my household, coming up with an excuse for your homework, even elementary school all the way up, admittedly, through seminary. And so uh, <laughs> what I thought I'd do this morning is recap, what are the top four excuses for not finishing your homework? We're not going to do the whole top ten this morning, but top four. Number four, I was gone the day it was assigned. Number three, my parents made me go to bed last night. Number two, this kind of proves that this is a top four list in the last five to ten years. The printer ran out of ink. Number one, the go-to old-fashioned, the dog ate my homework. I think you would agree with me this morning that those excuses probably are not going to get you very far with the teacher. You'd probably also agree with me this morning that there is a direct correlation between homework and academic excellence. Now, there are exceptions where people can do no studying and no homework and still excel academically, but for the most part, academic excellence is directly linked to homework. This morning, I would contend that spiritual health is directly linked to prayer. Now, there's a big difference. We're not talking about grades, and we're not talking about getting to heaven here. We're talking about just being spiritually healthy. People who are experiencing contentment and peace focused on what God wants them to be focused on, spiritual health. There's a direct correlation between spiritual health and prayer. Prayer, though, is a complicated thing, and prayer is a very mysterious thing. And one could probably come up with a variety of excuses for why they wouldn't pray. One could also come up with a variety of challenges that cause one to pray less. When it comes to our prayer lives, you have everything from a simple excuse of, I don't have enough time, to a very complicated challenge of, well, if God is a good father, why didn't he answer my last prayer for the healing of my child? To a very complicated challenge of, if God knows everything already, why do I need to inform him of anything? Prayer is extremely complex and mysterious. And there's serious challenges, questions, and doubts that can exist that could and do affect our prayer lives. The bad news this morning is there's not a lot of answers to those complex and difficult questions. We can talk about those and, and tackle those at, at different times. But this morning, we can get good confidence on a sure foundation so that when those questions do arise, we're still able to step forward in prayer because we're working from a position of confidence. There's a big difference between going into a situation with confidence and not having any confidence at all. I would contend that a lack of confidence actually stops us from doing certain things. There's times in your life where you can probably think you were facing a challenge and you said, I, I can't do it because you had no confidence and so therefore you asked someone else to do it or you simply just left it undone. But at the same time, there's probably instances in your life where you had a challenge before you, but you had a little bit of confidence because of something you had done previously or a little bit of knowledge you had. You didn't have the whole picture, but you had confidence. 
Confidence changes everything. And I would contend that Jesus is giving us confidence this morning in our prayer lives so that we can continue at all times, even when the challenges and the questions arise. Prayer is throughout the whole Bible. It's found everywhere. But one of the interesting things about prayer in the Bible is that there's not a lot of instruction about it. Most of the time when we find prayer in the Bible, we're finding a prayer. The recording of Moses or Abraham or David or Jesus or Paul or Peter praying. We find very little instruction on how to pray. We find no instruction on where to pray. And we find no instruction on when to pray. But we find a command, pray, followed by a lot of examples and then very little instruction which sometimes can make it difficult. So therefore, we have to cling tightly to the instruction that we do have from Jesus on how to pray. And so in Luke chapter 11 this morning, we get clear instruction on how we are to pray and a vision maybe of why we should continue in praying. You read Luke chapter 11, and I would contend that it actually raises more questions. But if we can get the confidence from dealing with the known, maybe then we can wrestle with those questions. So the disciples come up to Jesus and say to Jesus, hey, Jesus, teach us how to pray, which is a little bit odd. I mean, prayer wasn't something brand new. It's not like Jesus came on the scene and all of a sudden people started to pray. No, prayer has been around forever. It's been around through the whole Old Testament since the beginning of time. Prayer has been around even in cultures where Christianity or Judaism didn't even exist. Prayer is something common in every culture, this concept of crying out to a higher being. So here you got these people that have been with Jesus, these people who have been religious even before Jesus came, still want some teaching on how to pray. Because mainly prayer up to this point for the religious has been revolving around one central thing, sacrifice. So most people were used to prayer that when they would go offer a sacrifice, they offered a prayer along with that sacrifice. Or when there was a festival, which usually revolved around a sacrifice, there was a litany of prayers that were given. But now they see their master, Jesus, who this makes it even more odd, goes off by himself and prays. Here's the the one who knows everything and the one who is one with the one whom he's praying to, spending time in prayer. It probably has the disciples' attention that our master is even spending time in prayer. So how can we pray like our master? So then Jesus goes in and gives them some instruction on how to pray. And I would contend that it can be boiled down to very simply this. Jesus basically says this, continue to ask your good father. How should you pray? You should continue to ask your good father. The whole focus on the teaching here is on the two things, continue and ask. The story that Jesus shares in Luke chapter 11 of the person going to the door and knocking and saying, hey, I need some bread, I need some bread. Jesus shares that story and then the person finally gives the bread. The person doesn't give the bread because it's their friend at the door. The person gives the bread because of the persistence of the person at the door. Now, this is where, again, it can raise a bundle of questions. So, is God that small that He's not going to give something to us because we're His children, but only because of our persistence? Again, you can logically put yourself in all sorts of little challenges if you go down those pathways. 
But the main point of what Jesus is trying to say here is this. We need to be persistent. So after he gives the little illustration of knock, 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 he goes into the verses of ask, seek, and knock. And all of those words in those two verses are in the, the uh, phrase of continuous. It needs to be continually asking, seeking, and knocking. So Jesus is saying to his followers, hey, you pray by continuously asking, for being very persistent with God. For whatever reason, I mean, again, this is purely mystery. You ask once, it's not like God forgets. It goes out of the back of the filing cabinet. It, for whatever reason, God the Father wants to hear from us continually of our needs and our wants and desires. So when we pray, Jesus says, do it continually. And then he goes into saying, this is what you should ask for. Most of us know this as the Lord's Prayer. We've grown up maybe saying this or heard this being said. The Lord's Prayer, which we have labeled it, is very simply Jesus saying, hey, pray about these things. And Jesus gives five things. He says, pray about this. So if you look with me in Luke 11, we're just going to run through these. And this is kind of getting back to the basics. But it's important to get back to the basics so we're confident in the known. The very first thing that he says to pray for, he says, hallowed be your name. This is not Jesus saying, God, you are holy. This is different. This is saying, God, make your name holy in my life. God, let your holiness be kept in my life. Martin Luther, who wrote a lot on the Lord's Prayer and, and wrote some practical instruction on the Lord's Prayer, kind of described it this way. We're not saying to God, hey, God, keep your name holy, as though that's in danger of becoming unholy. No, we're saying, God, make your holiness known in my life. God, help my life reflect your holiness. Hallowed means, God, make your name holy right here and right now. So one way of thinking of it is this. We're saying, God, honor yourself in my life. God is going to be honored whether we like it or not. The Bible promises that. At the end of time, people are going to put their knees down and he's going to be honored. We, we've got nothing to do with that. We have no control over it. It's going to happen whether we pray or not. So what Jesus is teaching us to pray here is this, God, be honored in my life now. Right now, God, I want your holiness to be evident. Help me keep your name holy. Help me show the greatness of who you are in my life. So we're praying for God's holiness, God's greatness, His majesty to be seen in our lives. The second thing God asks us to pray for is, He says, your kingdom come. Very simply, Jesus is saying here, hey, pray for God to have control, for God to be king in every situation. When we say your kingdom come, we're simply saying, Jesus reign in this moment. When Jesus shows up and says, the kingdom of God is at hand, what Jesus means is that He's in control. That's why you'll read sometimes and it'll say a, an evil spirit departed and then it'll say something like the kingdom of God is present. Well, what happened was an evil spirit was in control, but then Jesus came and took control. Now the kingdom of God is present. So the kingdom of God is anywhere where Jesus has control. That's why we teach that the kingdom of God is coming right now today in our homes, in our church, in our workplaces. It comes any moment where Jesus has control. So Jesus is saying, hey, hey, pray for God's will to be done in any and every situation. So you're getting ready to head into a conversation. There's a very simple ask. God, let your will be done in this conversation. 
In other words, God's kingdom comes through the decision that is made because Jesus is reigning in our thinking, in our decision-making. God wants us to pray that His name would be holy among us. God wants us to pray that His kingdom, His ways, His will would be done among us. And then thirdly, very practically, Jesus says, hey, ask God to meet your needs. Give us each day our daily bread. Daily bread, what you need to live. Now, what's weird about this is of the five, this may be the one that we need the most work on. When's the last time you prayed for clean water? I don't know if I've ever prayed for clean water. I haven't thought about clean water until the recent incident in Michigan. But what is necessary to live? Water, bread, or food? And so we might think, well, why do I need to ask for it? I'm going to have it every single day. Asking for it reminds us of the ultimate source. Actually asking God, God, today I ask for clean water. God, today I ask for the necessary food. It simply reminds us that it's not by our strength alone that we provide that, but it's through God's strength that all of that is provided. It reminds us who we are. We're created beings. I have a need. I can't tell myself, exist tomorrow. I'm dependent upon someone else telling me, you can exist. Maybe we need to get really simple. Back to the basics. God, help me with this need right here. Food and water. Remind me that you're God. I'm a creature. Bring our needs before God. Ask God's name to be kept holy. Ask God's will to be done in our lives. Ask God to meet our needs. Fourth, confess our wrongdoings. He says, forgive us our sins. We're saying, God, cleanse us. Forgive me for what I've done wrong. If you read the Old Testament, almost any prayer in the Old Testament, this is the central point of it. They have the people crying out, God, forgive your people right now. And it makes sense that when you're in the presence of holiness, you recognize your own unworthiness. And so then you cry out and say, God, forgive me. I'm not perfect like you. So at the heart of any prayer is acknowledging to God, God, forgive me for what I've done wrong. Now, this is where it can get real complicated quickly. He says, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Now, if you just read that literally right off the page, it very much sounds like this. God, I ask that you would forgive me because yesterday I forgave Frank. I mean, that's the way it reads. So basically saying to God, hey, God, you owe me this because of what I've done. This is a really complicated phrase to translate into English from a language that was, existed 2,000 years ago and a culture that existed 2,000 years ago and a very difficult concept in general. So when we pray, Father, forgive us as we forgive others, what we're doing is, God, forgive us, now allow us to go out and extend that forgiveness to others. There's this mysterious truth that's really hard in the human language to describe that our forgiveness with God is not dependent upon us forgiving others, but our forgiveness from God is evidenced by us forgiving others. So if I say, hey, I've been forgiven by God, but I'm unwilling to forgive someone, what God's Word is saying, you really haven't been forgiven by God. The evidence of that, the fruit of that, is when you extend that same forgiveness to others. Now, again, logically, we work out in our minds, well, that means it's conditional upon us extending forgiveness. Then you look at the rest of Jesus' teaching, and it's very much 
a fruit of being forgiven. And we understand the concept of fruit, right? You put a corn seed in the ground, what do you get? More corn. You wouldn't have gotten the corn stalk in the corn unless you put what? The corn seed in the ground. Same is true here. You put God's forgiveness, what does it bring about? More forgiveness to others. So part of prayer is, God, forgive me. Now grant me the ability to go out and forgive others. Praying for God's name to be kept holy, praying for God's will to be done, our needs to be met, our sins to be forgiven, and then finally, very simply, protection. Lead us not into temptation is basically saying to God, hey God, would you make me aware of any evil that's around me? God, would you raise the alarms in my heart and in my mind, my soul, whenever I'm about to step into a trap? God, would you put something up that would not allow me to to walk into that tempting situation? God, protect me. Sometimes we pray this with, lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. Evil and temptation, sin, all very closely related. The goal of the evil one is what? Get you into temptation. The goal of temptation then is to get you to sin. So make us aware of evil. We kind of cut it off at the front end before we even get into the temptation. We're saying, God, protect us. Make us aware of when the evil one is at work around us, trying to bring us into a situation or trying to move us in a direction that would cause us to stumble. Again, very practical. God, today, would you protect me from the evil around me? Make me aware of how sometimes I'm engaging with it or stepping into it. Very simply, God's giving us things to ask him for. Then, hey, ask for these things. And then now is when it gets crazy. So Jesus says, hey, ask for this stuff. And then I would contend Jesus takes a 90-degree right turn. Look with me in Luke 11, all the way down to verse 13. So Jesus gives the instruction on what to ask for, and then he gives the little story to ask for it continually or persistently, and then he gets right to the heart of it, takes a right turn in verse 13. I lost my place. Verse 13, he says, If then who are you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? But Jesus, where did the Holy Spirit come from? We were talking about bread. We're talking about forgiveness. We're talking about your kingdom coming. We're talking about how... And now, Jesus, you're going to give your Holy Spirit... This, I'm be honest, I have no, I'm just like perplexed. Maybe Luke recorded it wrong. I don't, I don't think so. This is odd that he would just go here. When he's just getting to talk about these practical things, he finishes by saying, your father's going to give the Holy Spirit to you. This is dangerous. And most of us don't go to verse 13 because the Holy Spirit's kind of like the crazy uncle. When you're getting ready for your holiday meal, right? You're setting up an extra plate at the kids' table because what? You're hoping the crazy uncle will just kind of meander that direction. When it comes to gift time, you're just pleading. Hopefully, the crazy uncle bought something that's relevant to the last 10 years. And when the crazy uncle brings the food, what? You're just hoping that it's edible. We all know who the crazy uncle is, and we might be the crazy uncle at times. You don't want the crazy uncle because you don't know what you're going to get. Sometimes we treat the Holy Spirit like that. 
We're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Spirit out there floating around, moving. We knocked, oh, might speak in tongues, might give a prophetic word. Somebody might start dancing. Hands might get raised. There might be, oh, laughing, crying. Oh, whoa. Let's not go that direction. So therefore, the easiest thing to do is this. Avoid the crazy uncle. When you're having your family gathering, don't even send an invitation to the crazy uncle. Right? This is how we operate in Christianity. Father and son. Father, we come to you. We pray today, da-da-da-da-da, in Jesus' name. Nothing about the Holy Spirit, rarely. Whenever we talk about Christianity, follow Jesus, our relationship with God the Father. Kind of want to step out of this spirit thing going on over here. But let's just break it down very simple. Who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit simply means the Spirit of the Lord. So the Holy Spirit is the presence of God here on earth. We, when we say God, we mean Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The three are one. I'm not sure how that works or we're not going to get into that today. But the Holy Spirit is simply God. So one way of thinking of this, actually the way to think about this, Jesus says, hey, ask for all this stuff, do it consistently, guess what you're going to get? God. God's going to give himself. This is where it can get dangerous, so this is where it can get uncomfortable because sometimes we're praying for the band-aid, for the wound, right? Jesus says, hey, he doesn't say anything if we're going to get the band-aid for the wound, but he does say what? You'll get God. The wound might not be healed, but guess what? You'll get God who will walk with you through the wound. Wow! This is huge! There's not words to describe this answer to the prayer. Does anyone ever keep a prayer journal where you kind of keep track of what you pray for at different times? It's a good thing to do. Then you look back sometimes and look at your answered prayer and say, did this happen, did that happen? Here, when you go back today and look at your prayer journal... All the prayers have been answered because in every prayer, God's given himself to you. You may have gotten a yes or a no to a specific thing, but you got something much greater than the yes or the no, God himself. Why should we pray? Forget it says so, so do it. Do it for the reward, God himself. God asks us to ask consistently, continually, and be ready for the gift. God himself. This morning, as we think about the issue of prayer, there's one thing that comes up, I think, continually, and that is, is prayer a conversation? And I want to spend just a moment this morning help us think through this concept, is prayer a conversation? And I want to admit right up front, something I'm not proud of, it's something that I, I just say this as fact. Prayer has never been conversation for me. I've never had a conversation with God. I'm not saying that that's the position of authority, so that's the way it is for everyone else. I'm not saying it's, therefore, it's that. Nobody can have a conversation with God. I'm saying that's been my experience. So when I read the Old Testament, I see people having a conversation where Moses says, hey, uh, I need this, and God says something back, and then they actually barter a little bit. And then Daniel prays, and, and as Daniel's praying, an angel shows up and starts talking to him. I have not had that happen. I have actually never even had a word from God where God said to me, boom, this. That doesn't mean God hasn't spoken to me. When I pray, I believe that the Bible's right there alongside of me. 
And as I'm praying, I'm reading a couple verses, praying for what I read, and then God just spoke to me right there. It's His Word. That's what He has said and what He is saying today. Now, outside of that, can God speak? Absolutely. Because the Spirit of God is here present with us. So God might take a word from there, and as I'm praying, something might get planted in my mind. And here's what I'd encourage you to do. If you believe God has spoken to you, do two things. One is this. Look in the Bible and say, does what I heard match up and consistent with Scripture? Very first thing. Because God will not go against Himself. Second thing is this. When you get that word or you get that phrase or you get that direction you believe God spoke to you, say it to a mature group of followers and say to them, hey, this is what God said to me. Do you believe that I'm discerning correctly what I'm hearing? This line's wrapped right with 1 Corinthians when they were speaking in tongues and prophecy. You didn't do it by yourself in a closet. You did it together as a community. God is speaking to us every day in His Word, giving us the opportunity to speak to Him directly through prayer. We need to take advantage of it. We could go through a lot of tricks today and a lot of tips today on how to pray. I want to give you one simple application for the next week. And this is the only time you're probably ever going to hear this from this pulpit. This next week, I'm challenging all of us to be like our Muslim neighbors. I believe this next week, we should follow the example of the Muslims. They pray five times a day like clockwork. It's not unhealthy at all. Sometimes we look at routine and we're like, oh, you're just going through the motions. There's nothing wrong with routine. When routine is a problem is when it doesn't produce the fruit that it was supposed to produce. So many of us wait until we feel like we should pray. What if we did this? What if we built the habit and the routine of prayer so that our feelings were governed by our communion with God rather than allowing our feelings to govern our communion with God? We struggle with our emotions and our feelings, and those emotions and those feelings are real. But if those feelings and those emotions are the driver, we're going to be in trouble. So this next week, what if I said five times every day on the dot, I'm going to commune with God, and I'm going to allow that then to direct my emotions, my feelings. Guess what? Five times a day the Muslims pray. How many things did Jesus ask us to pray for in the Lord's Prayer? Five things. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. Lead us not into temptation. I don't say that as, oh, some great God's plan. I just say that as, practically, this works out really well. You've got five asks to make every day. Wouldn't it be cool if while millions of people all around the world are getting out their little mat and going through their motions, if the followers of Jesus Christ were getting on their knees at the exact same time, pleading out to the creator of the universe and making requests and asks unto the throne. Let's match them knee for knee. Let's match them request for request. I can give you every tip and every trick in the book, but it all comes down to this one thing. Is God your Father? The Lord's Prayer starts with a simple word, Father. And then Jesus finishes the illustration by saying, Your good Father. 
you can throw all the tips and the tricks out because you're not going to need them when you come to the place of confidence where God is your Father. This word Father, is, this is a big deal. The word Father is used in the Old Testament a couple of times talking about God, but never directly talking to God. And then the word here for father, it's, it's translated father in English, but we don't have a real good word that, that matches it. Some would translate the word daddy or dada for that word. The, and the reason that we don't use that word daddy or dada is because for us, daddy or dada means intimacy and closeness, but it doesn't carry with it the reverence. So what we're really looking for is a word that carries with it intimacy of dada, you're my daddy, but at the same time carrying with it the reverence of you're my father. It's exactly who God wants to be in our lives. Not a far-off creator, but actually one who is intimate and involved in the day-to-day of our lives. I'm going to ask the musicians to come forward this morning, and we're going to listen to a song. The lyrics of this song, I believe, are what are so critical in moving us to be people of prayer, that we would come to the place where we would say, God is a good, good father. I am a child of God. Let's listen to the lyrics of this song together.